there we go. Sometimes we just need to make decisions, like to play the video or not to play the video. I don't know. Um, decision making, I can be the worst. Anybody else? Okay. Oh, oh, not big decisions. Big decisions, I am good. I'm good. Should we buy that house? Yes, let's buy the house. Should we move countries? Of course we should move countries. Like those decisions are easy. It's the little ones that get me, guys. It's the little ones. Should I get the fudge brownie or the chocolate croissant? I don't know. The white shoes or the slightly off white shoes? Impossible. In and out or Panda Express? How's one to know that? To make a firm decision like so quickly that was made about in and out is impressive to me. But it's especially impressive when it's the big things in our lives. Because big decisions can be hard for the follow through. Like spiritual disciplines. Like exercising. <sighs> I mean, the only reason I'm successful in that is because I made the decision once. And then I said, I was never going to wake up and remake that decision. That's why. If you want to know the secret, like that's the secret, is that I made it a few years ago and I just said every morning I would just get up and do that. So when I get up and I'm tired and I don't want to, and I already made the decision, so I don't remake it. So, you know, there you go. Still hard though. Healthy changes, uh, media exposure for you or your children, boundaries with your children. These are all like big, hard decisions. And we've been talking through the book of Nehemiah and the Israelites, they've been through some stuff. We figured that out. They lived a hard life. They journeyed a tough path and they worked hard to get to the place they were today in the story. God had been with them. And he's still leading them. And their forefathers made mistakes. We, we knew that. We read that. And then they were at a place now where they wanted to try and do better. And this brings us now, this week, to Nehemiah chapter 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to do three in one. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's amazing. No, there's a lot of names. <laughs> if you read through those chapters, most of it's names. So um, we won't do that. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. They set their seal. Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaiah and Zedekiah, whatever. Verse 29, it says, they entered a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, to observe and do all the commands of the Lord. And verse 32, it said, also, they pledged themselves to pay for the services of the house of God. Number one, they set their seal. They set their seal. If you read back, like we talked about last week in, in chapter 9, it talked about all the things that God had brought them through. And because of all that he had done in their life, they're like, we are going to set our seal. And this seal was a seal of dedication. Dedication to obey and to give. It was a commitment to follow God and to give to God. In verse 39, it says this, we will not forsake or neglect the house of our God. See, they understood a few things. They understood that the house of God takes money. It takes money to function. And the house of God, they also understood, was not a man-made idea. 
It wasn't a man. It was a God-made idea. They understood this. And what matters to the heart of God should matter to the hearts of his people. So that the kingdom of God, they knew this. It costs money to operate. Money is not the enemy. If you think money is the enemy, you're misinformed. The love of money is the enemy. When we love money so much that we can't give it away, money has become our God and fear has become our master. But we must understand that money and resources we have are good. We also must understand that they're not ours. It never was. So we don't have to worry about it because it never was ours to begin with. So everything I have was God's and he gave it to me so I can entrust him to give me more when I need it. Some of us, I wonder if we've been given provision in seed form. But instead of planting it, we're eating it. Don't eat your seed. (laughs) Don't eat your seed. Listen, if it doesn't meet the need, it's only a seed. Plant your seed. They set their seal, their promise to obey the commands of the Lord and to give to the house of God. Number two, they stood, it said, if you, and if you read, want to read through these chapters on your own, you'll, you'll see where I'm bringing this out. But they stood in the house of God. It was time to celebrate. It was time to celebrate. And what better location than the house of God? This was awesome. This was the place of God. This is what he wanted. This is, and they gathered and they gave thanks to God for all he had done in their lives. And they stood before God in the house of God. And they declared their joy with singing and sacrificing. And it talked about all the instruments that they used. See, the joy inside should express outside. And when we as humans are excited about something, generally speaking, it comes out. Unless you're Craig. And I've talked about this before. But sometimes when he's excited about something, I do have to ask him to tell his face. I do have to say that. I'd be like, you should tell your face that. Because he'll be like, I'm so excited. I'm like, I can't tell. I don't think other people can either. But some personalities are just like that. He's working on it. So maybe you haven't seen that in him. He's trying. But generally speaking, it comes through. What about sports games and, and things like that where we just like, yeah. Or, or this morning, you know, when we're, when we're worshiping and we're just like cheering because God is worthy and, and that expression comes out from what's inside. A new baby, a wedding, things like that, or excitement comes through. In chapter 12, In verse 27, it says, For the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites from all their places to bring them into the city to celebrate with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They had had a whole team. (laughs) It was like a full set on the stage. And then in verse 43, it says, They offered great sacrifice and rejoice, for God made them rejoice with great joy. The women, it says, and the children, they also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. See, the Israelites rejoiced so hard (laughs) that it was heard from a far away off. Everyone had come together. The fact that they could gather was a very big deal, kind of like we can relate to now. The fact that we can gather is a pretty big deal. And this was them. 
because they had been taken captive by the Babylonians for 150 years, 150 years ago. And they had been forced to leave their land. They had been forced to, to disassociate from their faith. And God made a way for them to return, to be together in the city of God, in the house of God, with the people of God once again. This was cool. This was awesome. God fulfilled his promise for them and through them that they would worship him again. So the joy was big and it was best expressed together as they gathered. There's a Swedish proverb that says this, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. How many can relate to that? See, we will not find a complete life of joy in our own individual pursuit of happiness. We're better together. And when we feel low, how many know it's just so tempting just to disassociate, just to isolate, to remove ourselves from community, but it's a mistake because it brings us lower. And you can testify to this. You know, you, you think it's like for your own good, but then you get lower and lower. And then you begin to listen to the lies that no one cares and no one's for me and no one even noticed that I left and, and all these things. And, and by the time we come out of these low seasons, sometimes we've burned so many bridges that we feel like it's impossible to get back. It's not, but we feel that way. And then we miss the good times, the celebration times. How many know that a, a birthday uh, party by yourself can be pretty sad? Some of you are like, no, I like my alone time. <laughs> like on my birthday, I just want to be alone. I'm surrounded by people all the time. And, and that's valid. <laughs> like I understand that if you come from that situation. But there is something special about someone else celebrating you. Because the joy increases when we gather together. What's interesting to note in this, in the scripture, it said the whole family, because even the women and children were a part of it, the whole family was a part. And it says there, with the increase of joy came the increase of sacrifice. The sacrifice and rejoicing increase simultaneously. See, we would think that, well, it's celebration time. We're done the sacrifice. We're moving on to celebration. But that's not the case. It increased together. See, we can always give more. <laughs> Great. We can always serve more. We can always sacrifice more. And with the more comes increase. And with the increase comes influence. See, a time of celebration doesn't cancel out the continual need to sacrifice. It grows together. We will never enter a season where God isn't asking more of us. I don't know if this encourages you or not, but we will never arrive to the place where he's like, perfect, you've given everything. There's nothing else for you to offer me. Good job, congratulations, you've done it. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> we can always give more, it's the nature of the kingdom of God. To go up, we must go down, and the greatest among you is the one who serves the most. The joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. This was so significant. This was so significant, not just because they could gather for the first time in like 150 years, but because people 
had written off this city. They were talking smack about this city. They spoke bad things about it. They wished awful things about it. They mocked the rebuilding of it. We read that a few chapters ago. But the joy was heard even afar off. His redemption, his promises, his faithfulness in our lives. See, we don't have to listen to the voices. You don't have to listen to the voices. You don't have to listen to that. You don't have to give in to the mockery. There was great sacrifice and there was great joy. And this was a moment to be remembered. And it was their pleasure to set their seal, to obey and to give and to celebrate. Do you guys like Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's closed today, but uh, tomorrow. Um, Chick-fil-A, what's their claim to fame, phrase that they say after you order? <laughs> they do say that. But when, they, when you say thank you, what do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. It's their pleasure to serve us. They ingrain that in their employees to say my pleasure. It's like a whole other step further than you're welcome when someone says thank you. When someone says my pleasure, you're like, oh, it is? Great. That makes me feel so good. My pleasure. My pleasure. What's your pleasure? What's your pleasure? What do you give your life to do that causes your sacrifice to be your pleasure? They celebrated. Number three, they walked on the wall. This is cool. This is cool. They walked on the wall. It says Nehemiah appointed two large processions of thanks on top of the wall. Okay. Two lines of people purely to give thanks, and they walked on the wall. I don't know how big the wall was. I should have researched it. You guys research it and let me know. Okay. I don't know how big it was, but, like, you know when you're a kid and you walk on the curb? I still do it. <laughs> I did it yesterday. Okay. Um, but I like walking on little small spaces like that. But I just picture these two large processions. It probably was not that way. It's big, I'm sure. And they walked on the wall, but two processions of thanks. People stand in lines for a lot of things, right? Did you guys stand in the Costco line during COVID? Ever? <laughs> Whoa, that line, though. And the carts just make it longer because they're huge. Um, Disneyland, always, lines. Uh, Black Friday. Black Friday? Yeah. Um, don't mock Black Friday, okay? Because here's the deal. Um, there was a time I lived for this. For Black Friday. And here's why. Because both my kids were little and anything at all is a break when you're a young mom. Okay? Anything at all. So if that's a Black Friday line, that's a Black Friday line. So this is what would happen. We would have this huge gathering uh, of, uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, dinner was like tons of people. And then Shelby and I would be like, oh, we have to go to Toys R Us. That was when Toys R Us was still open. And um, stand in Black Friday lines for our kids so they can have Christmas, guys. So we were like the martyrs for it. And everyone was like, God, thank you for doing that. Like, appreciate it so much. You know, like our husbands, they were like so happy that we would do that. But secretly, we lived for this. We were like, yes. So we would leave. We, uh, we'd have to be there super early, right? Because you have to be at the front of the line. Yeah, you have to get all the 
the good deals, the door busters. So we would bring our chairs and our turkey sandwiches from Thanksgiving meal and our chocolate and our coffee, lots of coffee and blankets. And we would just sit in our chairs at the front of the line. We were always at the front of the line for hours <laughs> and talk. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. We never complained, but we were thanked so much for doing that. Now the secret's out. We actually told them, but um, <laughs> lines. We stand in lines for a lot of things. They were, this was a Thanksgiving line on the top of the wall. Now that is a line we're standing in and walking with. They were literally walking on the wall. They were literally walking upon the evidence of God's faithfulness. <laughs> Come on. The wall was this physical demonstration of the provision that God had given them. They walked upon it in this Thanksgiving procession. It's beautiful. To the God who made it happen. This was the wall. The same wall that Nehemiah left the palace to come and rebuild. This was the wall that miraculously all the exiles rebuilt in just 52 days. This was the wall that Tobiah and Sambalot mocked, but the mocking didn't stop the walking. Come on. The mocking doesn't stop your walking. Don't let people take that away from you. Don't let people take the, 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 the celebration, the thanksgiving away from you. The fear of what others will think. Don't let that prevent you from doing your Thanksgiving walk, your celebratory walk. See, you can be humble and celebrate at the same time. I think sometimes we neglect to testify of God's goodness because we don't want to rub it in. Does anyone ever feel that way? It's like, I don't want to make this person feel bad because like maybe they missed it or they're still waiting for their miracle, and I got mine, and I just don't want to bring it up. I'm, like, really excited about it, but I, I'm, I don't want them to feel bad. And it comes from a sincere place. But, guys, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. We run our own race together, okay? So my blessing doesn't cancel yours, okay? It's not one or the other. In fact, if anything, it's proof that God can do it, because if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. He's not a respecter of persons. He can do it for anyone, so it's my testimony would release faith in your life to know that, well, if he did it for her, he can do it for me, and you can stand on the promises, and you can walk your Thanksgiving walk, and you can thank him for what is yet to come. Come on. He doesn't run out of miracle quota for the day. Come on. And number four, they lived for the now and the later. They lived for the now and later. Verse 47 says, All Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and later of Nehemiah gave daily portions for the singers and for the gatekeepers. And they set apart what was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart what was for the sons of Aaron, the priests. We must live for the now and the later. See, the daily portions, they were necessary for the singers, the worshipers, the ones out in the front lines of battle, for the gatekeepers, the ones protecting what was coming in and out of the city. 
for the Levites, the priests, the ones who were giving guidance, instructions, loving and leading the people in the ways of the Lord. It was a daily need and it was a now assignment that had to happen. But then it says the Levites set apart for the sons of Aaron, which were the priests as well. The priests that were and the priests that would be one day as the generations follow behind them. This speaks of a setting apart for what's to come. Making provision and having vision for what's coming. See, we should ask ourselves, what now and what later? See, if we focus too much on the now, we'll never increase our future. Our future will become a mirror image of our present. If we focus too much on the later, we'll never do anything now. We'll become great vision casters, but no follow through. What's even the point of that? It's now and it's later. What do I do now to set up my later? Because it's helpful to work backwards on those things. Sometimes in order to have clear direction for our now, we need to first see what's later. Future vision brings clarity to present sightline. If you feel unfulfilled in your now, in your present right now, I encourage you to check on the dreams for your future. Do a dream check. Maybe they, you've forgotten about them. Maybe you've put them aside. Pick them up. Dream again. Remind yourself what God said, what he put in your heart. Bill Johnson said that he, uh, when, he, when he works out, was it five days a week he works out or four? Something like that. Um, he listens to prophetic words about himself. Prophetic words that's been spoken over him uh, while he works out. It's just what he does. Not to make them happen, but to remind himself, to continually set them before him. Reminding himself and praying over them. What's the dream in your heart? What wall should you start to build? What's the dream for here, for Crosspoint? What should this building look like in two years, in five years, in ten years? What, what should the ministries look like this time next year, in five years, in 20 years? What's the children's ministry look like? What's the youth ministry look like? What about families? What about community groups? What about influence in our city? What about the nations? What about trips to the nations around the world? What about investing in other places? What about business opportunities that are going to come out of this house? What about that? What does that look like? What is the dream? See, how can we follow God's heart to dream big enough to see our church, which is you, be the place here that everyone knows I can find Jesus there. I can find help. I can get freedom. It's like the word on the street. I can get food. I can get friends, family. I can be safe. We dream it and then we build it. What's your dream? What's in your heart that brings so much joy that when you think about it, you can't help but shout it out? You know, when I was a little girl, and I think I've shared this here before, 
So forgive me if you don't know, but maybe this will be the first time you've heard it. My dream was to live in California. I would tell my mom and dad often, when I grow up, I'm going to live in California. Now, this might seem like no big deal to you. For like there where I was, I, I grew up in a, in a small island, on a small island in, in Canada. And that's just like, it's like the furthest away. It's like the far eastern point of Canada. And this is the far western point of the United States. So I couldn't go any further in North America. And I used to say that all the time. And it was just like, that is impossible. When Craig and I, I, I moved to the western part of Canada to go to Bible college and, and train for ministry. And I met Craig and we got married. And shortly after we were married, it wasn't very long. I'd be like, we should just move to California. We should just move to California. And, and he also had that dream, oddly enough, when he was younger. But he would say things like, you can't just move to California. Because, like, we're Canadians. And you need, like, there's immigration, there's visas. There's, you can't just, like, oh, we're just going to open their borders and let us in. It doesn't work that way. It's hard. <laughs> and I'd be like, I used to hear that, but I'm, like, a little bit idealistic sometimes. I just, like, we should just move to California. So I used to say it all the time. I'm sure you were working out a plan. <laughs> and I just say it, and then we would talk about it in our dreams. I think I was 26, maybe, 26 or 27, when that dream became a reality. Like a 20-year dream, because I was just a little girl when I first began to speak it out. And now I stand here 15 years later in my dream. A social media friend of us asked on Facebook a few days ago, if you could move anywhere and be anywhere in the world, where would it be? I wrote San Diego, already here. <laughs> I've been to many beautiful places in Europe and, you know, Prague and Paris and, and Mexico, you know, the beautiful beaches. And there's like all kinds of places in Canada and the mountains, the Rocky Mountains and all of that. Hawaii, all these places are beautiful. But here is my dream. I stand in my dream, continuing to dream. Because there's so many things we can dream. It's for the now, and it's for the later. So what is in your heart to dream? For the now, and for the later. So as I'm, I close and I wrap this up today, that is my question for you. That is my question. What is your now, and what is your later. Would you stand with me as I close out in prayer? Father, I just thank you for each one that's here this morning. I thank you for the dreams in their heart. I know that even if they're buried, they're not done. They're just covered a little. And I pray today that we would have the courage to just move that dirt off them a little bit, that dust that's been burying them. For whatever reason, sometimes it's just the piling of life or it's just the day in, day out, week in, week out, that just we begin to forget them and leave them behind. I pray that you would remind us of those dreams and encourage us not to just redream them, but begin to act on them and put feet to them that we would know where to go now for our later, that we would celebrate what you've done in the past, 
that we would see what you could do in the future of our lives. God, we just thank you and we bless you for what you're doing and what you will do. I just release right now over everyone just dreams, just dreams, just vision, vision. I, I release business opportunities that they've been just waiting on. I, I release just the now of God right now. I, I release the, the, the things that they've desired, the healings that they've been waiting for, the house that they've been praying for. Right now, in Jesus' name, I just release the courage to step out and take a hold of it. We thank you that the victory is yours. We thank you that it's already yes and amen. And we just come together in that agreement with you. In Jesus' name, amen.